Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry, and it's our final episode of the year. I'm Jeff Braun. Yes, it's our favorite TV shows of 2023. We've each made a top 10 list, and we're just going to run them right down, starting with number 10 on my list. It's The Night Agent on Netflix. Have you ever heard of Night Action? It's a top-secret investigative program within the FBI. So you want me to be a night agent? God, no. I want you to answer the phone for them. It rarely rings. Yes, go ahead. I'm in danger. There's intruders. What do I do? It's going to be all right. I'm on my way. The Night Agent stars Gabriel Brasso as Peter and Lucianne Buchanan as Rose. Peter's an FBI agent who works in the basement of the White House in a small windowless room that has a phone in it that never rings until one day it does. It's Rose and assassins are out to get her and her family and she needs Peter's help. Soon the two of them find themselves in the middle of some sort of conspiracy that neither of them really understand. It all takes place over a few days, mostly in and around Washington, D.C. There were enough twists and turns along the way that you couldn't get ahead of the story, but they kind of felt natural and earned and not gimmicky. The plot was just the right amount of complicated as well. A lot going on, but not so much that you were baffled by it, except for the times that they wanted you to be baffled by it, I thought The Night Agent was one of the better shows on TV this year. Coming in at number 10 for me. You know the music. It is Survivor. When it airs, it airs Wednesday nights on Global. And after 45 seasons, it continues to be entertaining and compelling and continues to be one of Canada's favorite shows. It's the most watched show in Canada this fall. Viewership also soared on streaming in the U.S., at least on streaming. It airs on CBS, but it just jumped like 83% on Paramount with a bump to 90-minute supersized episodes, a response to the actors and writers' strikes that mucked everything up. And this show that sends people to a tropical island to mostly fend for themselves and compete in ridiculous challenges and vote each other out until one person is left standing should be stale by now. But it's just not. I wasn't a huge fan of the 90-minute episodes. It's a lot of watching people just sit around. But I get why they had to do it. And who knows, maybe with the rating success, they'll stick with the format. Survivor! Number nine on my list was the first of several final seasons of our favorite shows this year. The fifth and final season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Prime Video. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Mrs. Maisel. Miriam! That's my former daughter-in-law. Miriam! So pale. I don't think you know what you're getting into here. I know exactly what I'm getting into. I want to punch him in the face. Miriam, in front of the baby. <laughs> Did you all cry? Oh, Jesus. He sounds unstable. Nuns don't flirt. Father, forgive me. Nothing sexual happens before seven in the evening. Oh, well, it is past seven. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel was a comedy drama following the life of Midge Maisel in the late 50s and early 60s as she navigated her life and career as a stand-up comedian in New York. She was breaking barriers because it was even more of a man's game back then than it is now. Helping her out was her loyal and comically poor manager, Susie, and Midge had a family as well. Parents, kids, ex-husband, ex-in-laws. The cast was superb, led by Rachel Brosnahan, Alex Borstein, and Tony Shalhoub, who stole the show many, many times, of course. The real star, though, 
is the writing, especially all the fast-paced dialogue, and the production design. With a, it's vi- It was a vibrant, colorful show, and the 1950s-era set decoration, old cars, and costumes were a feast for the eyes. A great show. Check it out on Prime if you've never seen The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Coming in at number nine for me. Excuse me, did I say Winterpeg? I meant Winnipeg, Manitoba. I home province, and welcome to season nine of The Amazing Race Canada. That's right, The Amazing Race Canada and The Amazing Race from the U.S. First off, Canada. Nine seasons hosted by Manitoba's John Montgomery. Watching him grow over the years as a host has been a lot of fun. He was super stiff in the first season, but he had no experience. Now he's excellent and just pure joy to watch. Second, I've liked the Canadian version better than the original version from the start, partly because we get to see all kinds of cool stuff in Canada because they mostly stay in Canada, but also because the teams are just friendlier with each other. The American version just wrapped up its 35th season. Host Phil Kogan is also fantastic. He's got that great eyebrow. He's just not quite as much fun as John, but it feels like they've taken a page out of the Canadian show's book because the American version used to be more aggressive and antagonistic, like they purposely cast annoying and obnoxious people, and now they just cast nice people so we can just enjoy these good people running a race. Sure, there are boring teams sometimes, but they ultimately get weeded out. And whereas I'm not so sure about the 90-minute episodes of Survivor. I loved the extended episodes for The Amazing Race because it's non-stop action. It's just go, go, go the whole time and it never slows down. Terrific fun as always, but particular kudos to the Canadian version for delivering a solid season. And yes, I'm a little partial to this season in particular because they started the season in the home city of the couch potatoes, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Yeah. (laughs) We've watched two seasons of my next show since we did this a year ago. At number eight on my list, it's Jack Ryan. Two days ago, a strike team assassinated President Udo. And yet, you cannot prove that we weren't involved. Doesn't that concern you? No, sir. It terrifies me. You need to manage this, Jack. Yes, sir. What are you going to tell him? This corruption goes way higher than the CIA. Hey, buddy. Say welcome. I figured we could use the help. Wish me luck. Good luck. Season 3 of Jack Ryan came out late December 2022 on Prime Video. That was a great season, the show's best. And then just six months later, we got season 4, which is also its final season. Jack Ryan is based on the Tom Clancy character, of whom there have been a handful of movies like The Hunt for Red October, Clear and Present Danger, and a few others. In the TV version, the main character of Jack Ryan is played by John Krasinski, and he does a great job with it. He does important CIA work and manages to find himself inserted in all the spy action, the final season had him taking on drug cartels and Michael Pena joined the cast which also includes Wendell Pierce Betty Gabriel and Michael Kelly I love all the Jack Ryan movies, I love the show it's a bit of a shame they stopped at four but in this day and age, never say never maybe in a few years, the people involved will want to get back into it, for now four seasons sitting there on Prime Video ready to go. At number eight for me a show I was so skeptical about when I heard they were doing this, but it has not only worked out, it's worked out great, the NBC really Reboot of Quantum Leap. Remember that show? Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, 
who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. Quantum Leap aired for five seasons on NBC starting in 1989, starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell. And it's kind of a ridiculous premise, but it's an all-time classic. Bakula is Dr. Sam Beckett. He's a brilliant scientist working on a top-secret time travel project for the government. The project doesn't quite work the way he expected, and he ends up leaping into someone else, learning that the only way out is to make right something which once went wrong always hoping the next leap would be the leap home, but he never made it home. So now we've got a reboot that's into its second season, and it actually follows that original story. But I didn't think it stood a chance. Turns out it's great. Good characters, good stories. Goes a slightly different route, because in the original it focused entirely on Sam and Al and where they were at. Now we've got two simultaneous stories. What's happening with Dr. Ben's song in the past and what's happening in the present with the Quantum Leap team. And I think it's really great. I love it. So great job, NBC, for bringing this back right. Up next, a show that's been a Jeff Braun staple for over a decade. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and we are counting down our top 10 lists of our favorite TV shows of 2023. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia brought us its 16th season this past year, and it comes in at number 7 on my best of the year list. Is this a bathroom? Exactly, yes, that's a bathroom. You never told me we had a toilet. It's not a good one. We f***ing cans, Charlie. We are interested in featuring your bar on our show. Sounds kind of cool. What the hell are you doing? I don't know if I want to be on a show where they make us look jerks. I'd hate if they, like, edited it, like, made me look dumb or something. Why is it going off my stomach? Because you have a belly full of nickels. Nice. It might smell a little funky in here, Mr. Malcolm. I did vomit in his car earlier. Oh, perfect. Every single bone in my hand. I'm going to scream now because I can't hold it in, so here we go. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia has somehow become one of the longest-running sitcoms and shows no sign of stopping. It's been renewed through 18 seasons on FXX, so we'll be getting it at least for a couple of more years. The show's about a bunch of losers running a dive bar in Philadelphia, getting into crazy adventures. They took on a number of current-day issues this past season, as they often do, including inflation and celebrity liquor brands, which featured hilarious cameos by Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad, who the gang only referred to as the dad and the kid from Malcolm in the Middle. Lots of silliness, lots of laughs, lots of pretty gross jokes. I often make the mistake of trying to eat supper while I'm watching, only for them to do something super disgusting, putting me off my appetite altogether. But the consistency of the quality continues. It's really a staggering achievement for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. At number seven for me, a show I wanted nothing to do with when I heard it was coming out. But it turned out to be excellent. Season one is a spinoff of the prime superhero satire show, The Boys. The show is called Gen V. Being a hero is not about glory. It's about sacrifice. Welcome to Godolkin University. Hey! 
We've trained the best and brightest young heroes since 1965. Godolkin is a safe space for you to thrive. So The Boys on Prime is a great show. Maybe their best show. Superhero satire that's terrific and fun and violent and horrifying all in one. Gen V is about the university where super people go to train. When I heard they were doing a spinoff, I thought, ah, just give me a new season of The Boys. But now I can confidently say it is as good, if not better, than The Boys. It had a really exciting conclusion, a crazy cliffhanger, which leaves you with all kinds of questions, and it ties in nicely with The Boys. In fact, it apparently will lead right into Season 4 of The Boys, and that season will then lead right into Season 2 of Gen V. I really enjoyed this show. If you're at all into superhero stuff, I think you have to watch The Boys and Gen V. And if you're not into superhero stuff, you might actually enjoy it because of how it satirizes the superhero genre and turns it upside down. Just a week after I finished watching The Night Agent on Netflix, my number 10 on the list, that streamer threw another political thriller series at me, Carrie Russell in The Diplomat, a terrific political thriller, and number six on my list. Ambassador Catherine Weiler, Prime Minister Nicol Trowbridge. Welcome. Sir, it's an honor to meet you. Ah, honor to be met. Someone is luring a strike force into the Persian Gulf. The president is sending you to stop a war before it starts. Not butter a crumpet. Welcome to London, Ambassador Weiler. Tell me how. I'm the ambassador's wife. My husband was an ambassador for a long time. This will be an adjustment. You need to lean into the Cinderella thing. Not doing this the way you would. That's fine, just don't do it wrong. Not great. Russell plays Kate Weiler, a high-powered American diplomat. She's married to Hal, played by Rufus Sewell, who's also been a high-powered diplomat. She's also just been named ambassador to Great Britain, so she's off to London and soon finds herself embroiled in a lot of intrigue and international diplomacy. Unlike The Night Agent, which had quite a bit of action, The Diplomat is much more talking, but somehow even more thrilling. On paper, you'd think it'd be pretty dry, but it has pizzazz. Most of the credit probably goes to the writing. The performances are great as well. Carrie Russell's always great, last seen in The Americans, for which she was not nearly appreciated enough. Season one of The Diplomat ended on a cliffhanger, and I can't wait for season two. Coming in at number six for me is a show that was sadly canceled. Season two of HBO's Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. They're the dynasty. We're the flash in the pan. And that's all we're ever going to beat until we beat the goddamn Celtics, Boston. This show, starring John C. Riley, leading the cast as Los Angeles Lakers owner Dr. Jerry Buss during the Showtime era with guys like Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, was fantastic in its first season. Somehow, and it was ten episodes in that first season. Second episode, second season was seven episodes, and somehow it got better in that second season. And it felt like it was really just getting started. Season two really starts to dive into the legendary rivalry between two of the greatest basketball players of all time, Magic Johnson of the Lakers, Larry Bird of the Boston Celtics. It was awesome. Even if you're not a basketball fan or know nothing about the history of basketball, I suspect this would be a fun show for anyone to watch. So it's too bad because it got canceled because no one was watching it. Its ratings sucked. 
They took a lot of heat, though, for the first season, portraying Lakers GM Jerry West as a raging lunatic. Like, in any time I've seen the real Jerry West, he's calm as can be, looks like a nice guy, quiet guy. But in the show, he was angry. And then, as a result of that, in real life, West was angry. Players like Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar were angry. Lots of people tied to the Los Angeles Lakers were angry. So they just blew off the show as nonsense. When you get that many high-profile people come forth and say this show is stupid, that's some pretty heavy heat working against you. And I guess it was just too much, which is too bad because it was entertaining TV did you happen to watch any of this? I, I did not remember. happen to watch any of this, and now it gets to sadly go on my list of uh, shows that are good, but people were that like them were mad when they got canceled too early, and I'll probably just get frustrated if I watch it and then realize <laughs> it's just done after two, so I don't think I'll get around to it. And once again, John C. Riley showing that he can do comedy oh. and he can do drama yes. about as good as anybody in the game. Up next, we are going back to school. To continue our top 20 TV shows of 2023, you are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We are each counting down our top 10 lists for our favorite TV shows of 2023. And at number five on my list is the funniest show on TV. It's Abbott Elementary. (laughs) I found someone to teach the gifted program. (laughs) Why are you breathing so hard? I'm excited. Well, it's weird. You should get that checked out. Okay, guys, so I know we're all on board with the gifted program. (gasps) There you go, sounding like an old locomotive. Janine? Yeah? What's wrong with you? You psyching yourself up to be yourself today? (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, have a great day, Ava. Don't tell me what kind of day to have, getting all presumptuous and rude. You know what? Okay. We should teach this step class together. Together? Like, you and me? What else does together mean? Hurry up. Who knows when those kids will start arriving? They get here at 7.30. Every day? That's wild. have <laughs> a presentation to the school board coming up, right? Yeah, I do it annually. Right, but you're ready for the one this year. This girl doesn't know what annually means. An Ava supercut, and Abbott Elementary has got a very basic premise most good sitcoms do in that it's just the daily work life of a group of elementary school teachers in Philadelphia, and it's hysterical. There's nothing terribly innovative about it. It's a single-camera-style mockumentary that utilizes all the tricks in that bag. There are little interview segments and a deadpan guy who looks at the camera a lot like Jim in the office. It basically is the office just in an elementary school, and again, it is hysterical. There are two seasons available on Disney Plus right now. The third season will be coming up early in the new year. It was delayed, of course, by the strikes in 2023, and the new episodes air weekly on global tv next up from hbo another one from hbo following winning time a season which included my favorite episode of television this year period the last of us if you don't think there's hope for the world why bother going on you haven't seen the world so you don't know keep going for family family. No. Your cargo. 
It's a zombie show, but not just any other zombie show. It's based on a video game from 2013, and from what I understand, it is a revered video game described by some as the greatest story ever told in video games. But video game adaptations, not only are they rarely good, they're usually bad. This TV show is at 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the story is pretty simple. It's set 20 years after the initial outbreak, and a guy named Joel, played by Pedro Pascal, has to get this girl Ellie across the country through a sea of ruthless killers, raiders, and... And of course, monsters. And the zombies in this are different. They're not infected with a virus. They're infected with a fungus that takes over people's bodies and uses them as hosts. And some of the ways this fungus makes people change is pretty funky and pretty scary. So they're kind of rewriting the zombie rules a little bit here. So I dig that. As for the show itself, the first episode was dark, haunting, tense, intense, beautiful. I was hooked. The acting is superb, thanks to the heartfelt performance given by Pascal. As we see the beginnings of the outbreak and what we all lost, then we fast forward 20 years and see what kind of world they live in now, behind a giant concrete wall and the horrible things they have to endure just to survive. And episode three is the aforementioned best episode of TV of the season for me. Just a simple love story played by two people who come together during a dark time, an unexpected time, and find a way to make it work. Nick Offerman, a.k.a. Ron Swanson, plays Bill, and Murray Bartlett, a.k.a. A guy from the White Lotus plays Frank. And it's just, it's so touching and amazing and unexpected. Not at all what I would have ever thought would come out of this show. And this episode alone earns the series a worth watching recommendation. The next up coming in accidentally, coincidentally at number four on both of our lists, the fourth and final season of one of the most acclaimed shows on TV. Again, from HBO, this is Succession. Everything I try to do, people turn against me. I'm a hundred feet tall. These people are pygmies. The HBO show about a monstrous media company and the family who owns and runs it. They are dysfunctional. They are disgusting. They are engaged in a power struggle in the company. And it is mesmerizing. Brian Cox plays the boss. And the series begins with him set to step aside and name one of his children the successor. But then, well, he didn't. And chaos ensues. The show wrapped up in May, and it was wonderful. This is not the end. We are killing the opposition. I'm going to build something better, faster, meaner, wilder. I love it here. I f***ing love it. So, Jeff, what say you? I think every episode of season four of Succession felt like a huge deal, and then the ending was pretty perfect in that none of the Roys were happy at the end. Miserable people leading miserable lives, and all the money in the world couldn't fix it. Jeremy Strong as Kendall is one of the great performances of recent years. I mean, they're all great, but I think he's on another level. Desperate Kendall and cocky Kendall are highly entertaining, and then sad Kendall as like sad Charlie Brown. He brings so much of it on himself, and he's an awful person, but you still see somehow kind of feel for him at times which I give strong much of the credit along with the writing. Sarah Snook and Kieran Culkin also great at that but I found any sympathy I could muster for them was much shorter lived than it was for Kendall. Uh, the guy that plays Tom really rose in my estimation this season as well and all the smaller parts were clicking too Brian Cox of course one of the best out there. He was so entertaining and his quote this season of uh, that he says to his kids you are not serious people is something I have just relished in saying to people in my life throughout the 
rest of the year. And we'll continue to do so in 2024. A great send-off for succession. A great decision by all involved to burn fast and bright and not stick around past the best before date. So four seasons, four great seasons for succession. And that's plenty uh, of succession for me. Number three on my list, a top five all-time cop show that returned in July. Timothy Oliphant came back as U.S. Marshal Raylan Givens in Justified City Primeval. Got a task force with Detroit PD. You've been special requested. I promised my kid we got a whole road trip planned back to Miami. Wasn't a question. This guy left a trailer from Oklahoma to Detroit. He ain't got cash. We got ourselves a problem. Any information on this dude could help us. Clement Menzel is my client. He's a killer and he enjoys it. You do your job and I'll do mine. Justified was a terrific show running six seasons from 2010 to 2015, and it was a lot of fun. Lots of this kind of crackling dialogue as the show was inspired by the stories of author Elmore Leonard, who writes very fun crime stories. And now eight years later, Givens came back, finding himself in Detroit, embroiled in a new case. The downside was we couldn't really spend time with other characters from the original show because this new one was set somewhere else. The first show was set in Kentucky. But it was classic Raylan Givens, and that's a good thing. He had to go up against a legit legitimately scary figure in Clement Manziel played with unhinged enthusiasm by Boyd Holbrook who had a nice juicy scenery chewing part to sink his teeth into as opposed as opposed to the being baffling baffingly underused in that Indiana Jones movie this year if they want to come back every couple of years with a one-off season of Justified I'd be very okay with that they just need to figure out how to get and keep Walton Goggins into the mix At number three for me, from Netflix, it debuted in October. From the creators of 2018's The Haunting of Hill House, 2020's The Haunting of Bly Manor, and 2021's Midnight Mass, this is The Fall of the House of Usher. Your Honor, no matter how much evidence stacked against them, the Usher crime family stands stronger and darker than ever before. Anyone comes after us, we will exhaust our arsenal until the threat's neutralized. By neutralized, do you mean sued into oblivion on the streets? Neutralized. Like dead. You guys, we really should get together more often. It's just a balm for the soul. So first off, this has nothing to do with Usher the singer. The House of Usher, the story from Edgar Allan Poe. Are we safe? If we don't stop her have a family left. Frankly, I think you've forgotten what I am. Nevermore. 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 So this eight-episode limited series focuses on siblings Roderick and Madeline Usher, who have turned their company Fortunato Pharmaceuticals into a mega-empire of wealth, privilege and power but the heirs to the usher dynasty start to die and the mystery behind it all is slowly unveiled and it is excellent it's so gripping it's not a direct adaptation of poe's work it's just inspired by it and it manages to incorporate a whole bunch of his work like the raven the telltale heart etc and it works brilliantly outstanding acting particularly carla gugino who plays multiple roles and it might be her best like the best work i've ever seen her do and she's great in whatever she's in bruce greenwood also gets a nod here because he's the family patriarch but he apparently got called in like production had well 
started, but they turfed Frank Langella, who was set to be in that role after some allegations came up. So Greenwood stepped in and he nailed it. It's a great mystery as well. It has some creative deaths. The stories are all great, like the individual stories that we see that sort of tie into the main story, but maybe not necessarily for the faint of heart because some of it is really gross and horrifying, but overall, just excellent stuff. The Fall of the House of Usher. Up next, our top four television shows of 2023. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We are counting down our top 10 TV shows of the year. We've each made a top 10 list, and Only Murders in the Building comes in at number two on my list. Is this really happening again? Well, you know, who are we without a homicide? One of the best shows on television is back. So are you in? Yeah. With a surprise <laughs> you never saw coming. Oh, I'm sorry, it's me, isn't it? Only Murders in the Building. Shall we begin? Sight! So sick! Only on Hulu. Except in Canada, where it's only on Disney+. Plus. Only Murders in the Building is the murder mystery comedy starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. And once again, the true crime podcasters found themselves deeply involved in a murder investigation, this time in Season 3. While the murder technically took place in the building, which is their lavish New York City apartment block, the story really centered around a Broadway theater and a fledgling play written and directed by Martin Short's character, co-starring Steve Martin's character, and the star of the play was Paul Rudd, but he gets killed on opening night, and there was a bevy of suspects, basically everyone involved in the play, cast, crew, a documentarian, Rudd's brother, and so on. There are a lot of twists and turns over the course of the 10 episodes. The theater proved to be an excellent backdrop for a murder mystery. Lots of different sorts of characters in theater, lots of jealousy and infighting, all that good stuff. And you can make an old theater really spooky or eerie when you need to. Meryl Streep joined the cast this season, and while everyone was great, Martin Short kind of steals the show a lot of the time, and that's a good thing if you like Martin Short. Can't wait for season four of Only Murders in the Building. Coming in at number two for me, a show that wrapped up on Apple TV Plus in June and blew me away. It is Silo. We do not know why we are here. We do not know who built the silo. And why we are underground. We only know the world outside our sanctuary is death. If you boil the pact down to one rule, it's do not say you want to go outside. Or you will go outside. Engadget describes the show as simply transcendent sci-fi TV and sums up the show nicely, saying Silo is based on the science fiction novel Wool by American author Hugh Howey. takes place on a post-apocalyptic version of Earth where what remains of humanity is confined to the Silo, a 144-story underground bunker that serves as a self-sufficient underground community. The citizens are told that the world outside the silo is perilous, but questions arise about what truly lies beyond. It's a clever premise that allows the show to explore the book's themes about truth versus fiction and information as power. I thought it was a terrific mystery with one of the best endings of the year. Like, my brain went into full thermonuclear meltdown. Excellent performances across the board by Rebecca Ferguson, Tim Robbins, and David Oyelowo. Excellent writing, excellent everything. You should watch Silo. 
And at number one on my list, one of my favorite shows of the last decade, back for its fifth season this year, it's Fargo. We gotta run the check, make sure you're not psychopaths or, you know, socialists. That last one's a joke. Find her and don't make a mess of this. All right, are you done? She's a wolf in sheep's clothing, that one. I am so sorry for biting you, boys. It's just if you knew the week I'm having. <laughs> what now? I'm called in the cavalry. Now it's war. I'm a winner! The things that happen, happen. Who lives, who dies. This game's over. Fargo is an anthology series on FX based on Fargo, the movie from the Coen brothers. And like that movie, the show's about clever cops and stupid criminals and the cheery folk of the American Midwest and how the evil of the world can shatter their peace and quiet. The first two seasons were great. The third was good. The fourth sucked. Now, season five finds the show back in form. Juno Temple terrific as a Midwestern mom who's also MacGyver crossed with John Wick. She's a badass, especially when she's cornered. That's when she shines. Her ex-husband, played by John Hamm, is a Fun villain to watch this season. All the supporting characters are bringing something to the table as well. The episodes fly by even though most of the scenes are not terribly action-packed and it's a pretty slow-paced show, but it's so engrossing each episode feels like it's over in the blink of an eye. And for me, that's a good sign. Fargo, my favorite show of the year. And for me, my favorite show of 2023, and I'm somewhat reluctant to say this because that makes it 1-2 for Apple TV+, Plus. but it's the third and final season of Ted Lasso. Thank you, fellas. That was perfect. So to recap, Ted Lasso stars Jason Sudeikis as an American football coach who is recruited to coach an English soccer team, AFC Richmond. It's a preposterous scenario that originally was just part of a marketing campaign for NBC Sports soccer coverage. They revisited the character a couple years later in a short film, and they finally made it into a TV show, and it is brilliant. And to hear that clip, that simple scene, you, you don't really know what's going on from listening to it, but it's a moment of sheer joy on screen and that, for me, sums up the show. Joy. Yes, it's actually nice to watch a show that brings you joy. We both enjoy all kinds of dark dramas and stuff, but sometimes a show that just makes you happy, that's unabashedly positive and optimistic and upbeat, that believes in people, that's the key word of the show. Believe. Believe in yourself. Believe in others. Believe in your team. I love Ted Lasso. Favorite show of the year. I'm sad it's gone. But we might see more from that universe. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. We'll talk to you in 2024. The kids.